You're listening to SAS Nordic, the sassiest podcast in the Nordics. Hi, I'm Daniel. And I'm Thomas. And we are experienced SaaS professionals that are curious about how other successful SaaS companies go to market, scale, build winning teams and great products. Join us on our journey as we speak to Nordic SaaS leaders trying to get hold of their secret sauce. And today's guest is Nils Olsson, the CEO at Lime Technologies. It's not that we should sell a job to anyone. I think it's very important. The better qualification a candidate can do on us as an employer, the longer they will stay. And that we give a fair view of Lime as a company. Because even if I love Lime, I mean, we don't do everything perfect. So there are things that we need to improve all the time in our operations, in our business. And then it's better to be honest with that, with the candidate in the final step. Because then it doesn't come as a surprise. Hi there. Hi, Thomas. Well, we're going to have a a great episode today. I dare to promise. But before that, um, Daniel, we are working hard. Sassiest 2023, our flagship event that brings together the SaaS community. It's by operators for operators in April in Malmö, 17th to 19th. And the event is all about how you excel in your particular role. So if you're, I don't know, VP product or a CMO or a CEO, whatever your function is, you come to our event to leverage the knowledge from like-minded people, from your peers. They will be sharing lots of tips and tricks, lessons learned, hands-on information. And you will also get access to anecdotes like templates, playbooks, checklists. If you at all want to excel in your role, you need to attend this event. Yeah, and this is a premium event. So you will get some good food. We will have a party together. You will get some drinks. We have some fun side events. Um, no additional costs like paddle and poker and probably yoga and other activities as well. Um, also different ways of networking, both through networking apps and you know meeting each other in different forums. So it's it's really, I think, a great destination if you want to, to meet new people and and also hang around with your friends we are expecting 1200 uh just like last year we're capping it at 1200 because we don't want you to come to an event and just be a name on a badge we want you to be able to interact across these three days with people and you know build some meaningful relationships so we cap it at 1200 people and like we said 1100 of those tickets are dedicated for B2B SaaS operators. Only 100 tickets are dedicated for non-SaaS professionals. So that's probably investors, consulting companies, and so on. Yeah, sure. And last year we were sold out. So I suggest if you haven't your ticket already, go to sassiest2023.com and get yours. Okay, enough with the self-promotion. Let's go on with the interview. Today, we are super happy to have Nils Olsson, the CEO at Lime Technologies, here as a guest in the SaaS Nordic podcast. Welcome, Nils. Nice to have you here. Thanks a lot. Nice to be here. It's really great to have you here. And it's like, it, it feels a little bit like special, like to have people that sit in our neck of woods. You are in Lund, I suppose, right now, right? You should be in Lund, Nils. Why are you in <laughs> Stockholm? I wish I could tell you that I'm in Lund, but uh, actually today I'm in Stockholm. So I live up in Stockholm. 
but uh, been doing that for the past 17 years. But I'm regularly in Lund, and uh, I spend most like two days a week uh, in, in the Lund office. So Let, Let's just establish at least, is the headquarter in Lund? Uh, it depends on uh, who you ask. <laughs> oh, no! But, but if, if I should... Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the main... Uh, the, we have most of our employees in, in Lund, uh, and the headquarters is in Lund. Okay, so, yeah. And I, I'm very... I think we are, uh, we are very proud to be... Uh, uh, a Lund company mm -hmm. and uh, that I mean our former name was Lunda Logik before we changed it to Lime so so we have a big connection uh, to to Lund and also the university uh, in Lund so so I think uh, yeah our roots comes from uh, from from the university in Lund yeah and we in Lund is also very proud to have you in Lund but uh, for the ones that don't know you Nils could you please start telling us a little bit about yourself Absolutely. Uh, well, if I, we start with uh, my career, I mean, I'm more or less born and raised at Lyme. It feels like that. I've been here for 17 years now. Wow. <clears throat> started, started as a trainee in 2006. And I think at that time we were around like yeah, 30 people at Lyme. And today we are uh, around 400 uh, and uh, spread all over Nordics and also now in, in Europe with Netherlands and Germany. So, so I mean, I have a, I've had a fantastic uh, time at Lyme, and and I really enjoy being here still. Um, so, and that has been more or less the feeling since I started, even if it was, yeah, in one sense, a totally different company back back then. Right. So, so I my my career more or less has been started as a trainee, did both a little bit of consulting and and sales and. I realized, and I think everyone is quite happy for that, that I focused on sales instead, instead <laughs> and that's my main focus. And, and that's where I have my big passion. Uh, I love selling, and I've always been doing that. Um, and I'm a big fan of new sales, especially. Right. So I've been doing that, running the sales organization for many years, and uh, <clears throat> working more or less around our different offices since 2009. So I've been traveling quite much and uh, been running as a CEO now since two years back approximately. Uh, and that means still that you do sales, you do a lot of recruitment, uh, yeah, you travel around and, and uh, yeah, I really enjoy being here. I mean, that's really cool. And you know, I think you said in the beginning here that you've been with the business for 17 years. Yeah. I don't know if it's a coincidence or just magic happening right now. Thomas just this morning shared with me 17 years ago, he was in touch with you guys. This is a trauma. <laughs> Thomas, tell us about it. What happened 17 years ago between you and Lunda Lugik? Yeah, apparently, Nils, you got a trainee position. <laughs> <laughs> but 2006, 17 years ago, I was in a group interview at then Lunda Lugik. Uh, I was really interested in the company. Uh -huh. I also knew Lars Andersson that you probably know uh, yeah, also exactly. quite well. Exactly. And I, I applied for the job. And you know, the, it was this group interview. We're going to talk about your recruitment process. And and, yeah. and I don't know what I did wrong, but apparently... <laughs> you're, still, you're still waiting for the feedback. Yeah, I, I, I'm still <laughs> waiting for the feedback. And, and probably I talked too much or I, maybe I was too pushy or something. Okay. Um, and then after after the interview, I somehow got in touch with the CEO and booked a direct meeting with him. Okay. But then I was contacted by another person that were working with the recruitment process that said, basically, we have already said no to you. <laughs> and, and, 
Okay. Doesn't sound like the perfect uh, recruitment process. Uh, I'm sorry for that. Uh, I hope that we have improved ourselves. Yeah. But maybe we can dig down in your archives and and, and I you know finally can can get uh, the answer why, why it was rejected. A closure. He needs a closure. Yeah. Yeah. It's still an open wound. Uh, yeah. Not just kidding. I understand. And, and, and I don't know. I mean. Are you ready to really handle that kind of feedback? Uh, so, so then, then, then I can dig into it. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I'm a big boy now. Yeah. I'm a big boy. <laughs> okay. I can take it. Niels, look what happened to him. Like he went the same train, or he wanted to go the same trainee track like you. So yeah. instead of being a CEO, he hangs out here with me recording podcasts. <laughs> okay, yeah, this was a sidetrack, but uh, yeah, I think a good one. Fantastic journey, and and it's quite interesting actually because. Out of, we were six trainees starting back then, and we are still three that still works at Light. Oh, wow! Um, yeah, so so that that's really nice, and it, and the other ones that started that year uh, are still working within uh, within uh, the sauce industry. Uh, yeah. and, uh, Is that the, the Get Accept guys? Yeah, exactly. Matthias, uh, who founded Get Accept, and then you have one guy working at uh, Microsoft and another one working at Salesforce. Okay, yeah. So, so we've been uh, yeah hanging out, and um, and I think yeah, really really good time. And. Most of them stayed for quite some time. I'm pretty sure Matthias was in the same group. Uh, probably. <laughs> then he, uh, yeah. Then you should talk to him because maybe then he took your position. So you should <laughs> exactly. Maybe I was. Still yeah. Then, then I didn't stand a chance. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. That was a good, uh, uh, a little bit down memory lane. But if we fast forward a little bit to where we are today, so. Uh, if there's anybody here that you know listening to the show that doesn't know what you guys are all about, so tell us briefly, like what is what is Lime all about? What do you guys do? Exactly. So we are we are focusing on customer uh, care, more or less CRM business, and that's what we've done for many many years. So we would like to help our customers to become really strong in sales and customer care, so they can help their customers in a good way. So focusing on our customers' customer, more or less. And we do that by providing really, really good software, of course, but the combination, and I think that's one of our unique selling points, is that it's the combination of, of our software and our expertise within the field of CRM. And that's where we more or less stand out towards the competition, because uh, many in our industry are working with an indirect model, meaning that they use resellers and third-party consultancy firms implementing their software but we have everything in-house. So we develop, we sell, we implement, and we support and take care of the governance. So one-stop shop, more or less, hold the customer's hand throughout the whole journey and uh, make them successful so they can make the life for us as end customers uh, easier. That, that's what, we, what our aim is. All right. Okay. And are there any particular like types of customers, you know, size-wise, verticals that, that are more relevant for you? Yeah, I, I think that it, we have three different platforms today. We have Lime Go, we have Lime CRM, and we also have a messaging platform called UseLike. Uh, so, of course, it's a little bit different depending on which type of platform you're focusing on. But if we take Lime CRM, which stands for around like 76% of our revenue, that is uh, the unique selling point for that is that it's a standardized system but it's very, very flexible, mm -hmm. meaning that we can verticalize our software. And we have four verticals where we mainly focus. It's utility companies, uh, real estate companies, wholesale companies, and engineering consultancy firms. So that today stands for around like 60% of our revenue. And 
40% comes more from the standardized CRM. So, so that's the verticals where we try and uh, try to be, become the market leader, more or less. Okay. And then you mentioned the other products, LimeGo, that, that is more a SMB uh, solution, right? Exactly. So, so, and I think LimeGo is a, yeah, and of course I'm a little bit biased here, but, but I think it's a fantastic cool product because it's packed with all the information about companies, uh, contact information, credit ratings. So, so it's really a great sales tool, uh, both for inbound and outbound marketing. And we can help, and since we have all the data in the systems from the beginning, we can help our customers to say, okay, you succeeded really good in this area, then you should actually also contact these or, or these four type of companies within the same industry. Yeah. So, so I think it's a, it's a little bit more streamlined product. It's a package with our knowledge within sales and marketing. And um, yeah, that's a product that we're trying now to... to uh, we mainly sell it today in Sweden, Norway, and Denmark, but it's a product that we will take down to the rest of Europe as well uh, going forward. Okay, and I don't know if we mentioned it. We we went back to 2006, but the company is even older than that. So when did Luna Geek start out from the first place? It's it's founded in 1990 uh, in Lund by four four people, three three guys from uh, from more or less mathematics uh, from uh, from Lund University, and the fourth guy joined in in '96. Okay, that's when they needed a sales guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so, so that's the story actually that uh, that he got like the the 25 percent of the company if he managed to double the revenue back then and then succeeded. So so I think uh, the combination of being really, really good on uh, on the dev side, uh, having a visionary guy and also uh, a sales guy coming in. I think that that was a great combo. And um, I, I mean, I, I think everyone that works at Lime today are, should be super grateful for, for those four because uh, they've done a great job both building a great product, of course, because uh, we are a product company, but also a great culture, uh, which has been with us for many, many years. And fast forward to today. So where are you at with uh, some numbers here? Um, ARR, how much do you grow, number of customers and employees? What can you share about that? Yeah. I mean, if we look at Lime and, and, our, uh, and our track record, we've been growing our business over now 20 years in average around 19% per year. So over 20 years, 19% every year okay. with a profitability of 25% per year. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, so, so that's a long track record. And I mean, many SaaS companies have started it just a couple of years ago. And, and when I put up that kind of graph in front of me, that's something that I'm very, yeah, I'm super happy and I'm proud of seeing that, that you actually can perform year after year after year. So you're just like, you know, rule of 40, hold my, hold my beer. It's like, yeah, look at this. <laughs> for the past 20 years. Exactly, very humble. But no, uh, and today we are, yeah, if we look at 21, a little over 22, we had just closed our fourth quarter here and, uh, and we had 21% um, growth in, uh, in, uh, in 22. And we ended up at uh, 26, 26% EBITDA margin. Um, so, so we are continuous to continue to grow and, uh, and that's our goal going forward as well. Today we are 400 employees spread all over them, as I said, Sweden, Norway, Finland, Denmark, Netherlands and Germany. And we also opened up a, 
an office in, in Krakow, in Poland, uh, more on the engineering side in, in 22. So we are expanding uh, in, and, and, uh, and a building line step by step to become a more international company. Yeah, and I know looking at your revenue, it's both from software subscription and services. So if we look at the software subscription side, how much ARR? Uh, exactly. So, so out of our revenue, we have 61-62% uh, come, uh, come from annual recurring revenue. Okay. And if we take uh, from the expect services side, as you said, we have, com- as I said, compared to many others, we have our, our um, consultancy business in-house. And that stands for 37% of our revenue today. Um, and the goal is, of course, uh, that the fastest growing revenue stream for us is uh, uh, subscription. Yeah. So we want to continue to grow that in the fastest pace we can. And of course, we want to continue to grow expect services as well, because that has a big correlation. If the more software we sell, the more expect services. But as a part of the total going forward, you could see that the the expert services will be a, a, a small part going forward. But it's important that both revenue streams are growing. Okay, do you have a number for us as well for the total revenue? Yeah, uh, yeah. we, we uh, ended up at around uh, 490 million SIEC. All right, so something 250, something like that for, for the ARR part of it. A little bit uh, more, uh, actually. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Somewhere in between 250 and 300 then. Okay, either way, well done. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah, and, and uh, looking at what, what markets do you operate in? Um, I mean, Sweden is still our main market. We have, uh, I mean, we are present there, as you said, in Lund, uh, our headquarters, and uh, we have uh, Stockholm, we have uh, Gothenburg, and also a small office in Gävle. In <coughs> but we opened up Norway and Finland in 2010, and then I actually moved to uh, Norway for two and a half years. 15, we opened up Denmark, and then in, in the middle of the pandemic there in August, in, uh, we opened up our office in Netherlands, in Utrecht. Okay. And then through an acquisition, uh, obviously, like in 21, we opened up our, our office in Cologne. Uh, so, so, and also then, as I said, in 22 now, we opened up uh, the Krakow office in, uh, in Poland. Oh. So, so that's the expansion, and, uh, and the goal for us is to... The goal is to, to grow and to become a more international company going forward. Um, and we would like to grow more within, within our verticals going forward as well. So just out of interest, does that mean that you are actively focusing on the Polish market as your... Uh, no, no. We, from, a, from a Krakow perspective, it's more on the engineering side. I think as for many uh, software companies the last couple of years. It's been a tough market finding uh, really good engineers because uh, uh, everyone has recruited on a, on a quite high pace. So, so we said that let's try and see if we can um, expand the area where we can find really strong software uh, guys and girls. And, and it ended up in Krakow. <clears throat> we looked at many different alternatives when we took the decision. Um, but today I'm, I'm super happy and I think the feedback that we get from from Krakow is that it works really well. And the pandemic also learned us that it actually works quite well to work with uh, distributed teams in engineer on the engineering side. So, um, But it's besides the Nordics, it's the Netherlands and Germany that you sort of do sales in and, and so on. Yeah. All right. So um, you're a listed company, uh, so we won't talk so much about how, how you're funded from the beginning. Um, what can you say about that? How long have you been public? We've been public since 2018. Um, okay. 
And I think for me, uh, it's, it's been a quite interesting journey because I've been more or less through all different phases. Uh, we, first of all, as I said, we had four founders from the beginning uh, and um, they sold the company to uh, Biznote today done in Bradstreet in 2007. Yep. Uh, and then we were 100% owned by, by Biznode until 2013 approximately. And then we uh, got new owners. So uh, we were a part of the Montero team, uh, which I think is that's a fantastic, a good PEIP company, uh, only focusing on uh, software companies. Mm. So then they owned 80% of Lime, and uh, we in the management team had 20%. Right. Okay. And then, of course, as a PE company, you, you either you, I mean, you should sell to someone else or you should do something with your different companies. So we yeah, looked at different tracks and, uh, and I think that going public was a really good alternative because it meant that we could keep the Lime culture and to really, because that's the, yeah, it's so big of our success story yeah. to really maintain it in, in that kind of shape. Right. And the best way of doing that was to, to go public. And that's, uh, that's why we picked that in 2018. Um, and so that more more limers could be shareholders uh, and be a part of our journey going forward. So uh, I, I think you know it's it's super exciting the journey you guys have been on, and you know clearly you've had the numbers with you for the past twenty years here. And you know we were a little bit curious, you know, since you've been part of this exercise from the beginning, how come that this has been the selected path forward where you always want to have, you know, a profit in mind and maybe sacrificing to a certain extent growth and so on. Like that is, especially if you look at the, the last few years in our world, yeah, it's been unusual. Yeah. Like how did you guys land in this? No, but I think now it, it should actually be interesting to hear uh, Anders Joachim, one of the founders from the beginning to, to, uh, to take that question. But I mean, I think we need to look at the, the total market economy in a different way. Because when you built SaaS companies back then, you didn't do it by uh, only by growth because it was, was a different timing in the, in the 90s and, and early the 2000. Uh, so, so I think that they wanted to build a, a solid company where you actually, and they took really big proud of actually being profitable without having any other, like spending out other person's money. Right. So, so I think that was the main thought from the beginning to combine, we should build, build a solid company that can stand on its own leg uh, uh, and to combine then, as I said, profit and, and uh, growth. Yeah. The model that we picked since we are doing everything in-house and most other, because it's easy to compare us with a, like a pure, pure SaaS company where everything is more or less, uh, you sign up on the web, you, uh, you swipe the card, off you go, uh, and that's the model that many SaaS companies have today. Right. I mean, we are combining, as I said, we are a product company and, uh, and we, we would like to sell as much software as we can, but we also have the complexity in our deal that makes it that we customize, we do integrations, we do uh, business uh, processes that is very, very close to our customers' operation. And of course, it's harder to scale that compared to if you only are selling the software. Right. Or if you pick the partner track. So, so I think it goes hand in hand with, with our way of doing business. And I think 
looking at the market today, we compete with Salesforce, Microsoft, and we have a very strong position to, if we should, as a small player back then, if we should pick the same kind of track as Microsoft, then we would be the same. And then, of course, now we have a unique selling point that we do hundreds of implementations every year and we do them in-house. So we learn from our mistakes and we are very close to the customer. So we are a really different alternative compared to the big US-based companies. And, and yeah, so, so I think that, that has, has the history and, um, and is a part of our DNA today. But you must have at some point, you know, sat down and felt like, you know, we're growing, like you said, 90% year over year. And if I would just throw a little bit more, you know, napalm on the fire here, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll grow 40%. I mean, because you sit and look at everybody else outside the window fueling this growth. It must have been tempting at some point to at least think the thoughts. Uh, absolutely. And I think if, if you look from the uh, as a public company and you, if you look at the in investor climate in, in 2000, uh, 2020, 2021, I mean, I think that was one of the most common questions I got. Like, okay, but why should you actually earn money? Uh, you should we go down with a profitability of 15% instead, especially from the US-based investors and you can grow even faster. But as I said, at that time, I mean, we are doing Netherlands, we are doing Germany, we are opening up in Krakow, uh, we are trying to expand with Lango. We are doing a lot of investments, but at the same time, we can combine profit and growth. And I'm, I think that it's, as a company, I think it's important to, I would say like in, in, in when the market situation now has changed, what is the most common question today, one year after? Fantastic to see a, a, a company actually earning money and, and have that kind of growth. Yeah. It's funny you say that, and I'm going to make a plug for uh, the sassiest benchmark report that, that is yeah. coming out. There's already out when you're listening to this. But yeah. we had one question where we asked all the, the surveyed people, like, are you profitable? If not, are you planning? And within what time frame? 90% said that, uh, either I'm profitable or I have ambitions to be profitable before the end of 2023. Yeah. You know, if that's going to happen, that's a different story. But at least the plan is there. <laughs> no, I, I think that it's important. So, so for me, I, I still stand with, with the answer that I gave on the, on the opposite side, on the growth side. I mean, we, we are doing a lot of investments and we would like to use the, the, the pressure that the recurring business model creates and then, of course, use it to, to do investments. Uh, so so I, I think that I'm proud in that sense that we as a company uh, decided to say, okay, this is our DNA and, and this is the, the road that we want to take and be quite, uh, stand, stand with that decision. But of course, as you said, Daniel, it, it's always tempting to, and you can be a little bit jealous when everyone else is like taking, you know, a different path and, uh, and, and okay, what, what are we doing? So you question yourself. Exactly. exactly. And, and Thomas actually just, you know, in a side chat here, pinpointed said like, you know, the 90% you just threw out, I thought it was the next two years. I'm looking at the data and Thomas is actually right. So I take that statement back in the survey. People said that they're going to be, they're planning to be profitable, 90% of them, within the next two years. Okay. Good, good catch, Thomas. Yeah. It was numbers, and I caught it. I was correct. Let's move on. <laughs> okay. So, uh, one thing that you are more or less famous for, 
or in my case in Famous Four, is your recruitment process, and uh, and and you onboard a lot of people every year, and uh, yeah, uh, young people, uh, I would say. So, c- can you tell us a little bit about that? How does it look? Why why have you chosen doing it the way you do it? It actually goes back to 2006, there, Thomas. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, but we had one of our founders, Joachim uh, Bengtsson, a really visionary guy, and I think is a, a, a very yeah, he's he's a big reason why we have that kind of culture but also recruitment process and so on at line so we've been doing more or less the the speed dating that you were talking about there uh, Thomas, uh since around like 2006 well, so what is the speed dating it means that we believe that it's important for us uh, and also the from the candidate side that they should meet as many limers throughout the process as, as they can so instead of only screening, you know, CVs and you should have the best CV in the world, someone are good at writing, someone is maybe is good in talking, but the ones that are not maybe having the fanciest CVs, they are not, they are excluded in the many recruitment processes. So instead we said, let's take as many as possible. They can come to our offices. We have a speed date. It's, it's around like one hour. So first it's a little bit of a, a a presentation about Lime, the different roles that we are offering, what kind of company you are, we, what our values and so on. And then you have three different tracks, more or less. So you have three different rooms where you have a speed date interview. Okay. So there is one Limer in each room and then you have, uh, and then you have like a five minute interview. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's about, it could be that they should share a, a specific story, they should sell something and, and so on. So you have different areas where you want. And then one, the fourth room, which maybe is the most important one, that's where everyone meets and see how they can mingle around. <laughs> that's where Thomas failed. Yeah. <laughs> we sat in a room, like a round table, so so we were not mingling. Well, maybe that's why why you didn't uh, pass that kind of... I mean, if it would have been mingling, you are good at mingling. Yeah, I am. So tell us more about the mingling exercise, the fourth room. No, but I mean, then you can really see how people react. And I think it's even more important, interesting today, because if we go back to 2006, no one had smartphones and no one had to really do things. But today you could see, okay, are they taking the opportunity to ask questions? Do they uh, uh, talk to each other? How do they handle that kind of situation? Or do you pick up your phone and starting to scroll on Instagram or uh, Snapchat or whatever <laughs> it can be? And that's a quite okay. How will what kind of impact will they have on our culture going forward? Yeah. So that's where everything starts. And then we have uh, so it takes we can handle quite many people at the same time. Yep. And then we can say okay, the ones that should move on to the next step. Sorry to interrupt you here, but uh, and I don't mean to be stereotyping in any way, but there might be that some profiles for some roles are maybe better at mingling and will use that more in their day-to-day role than others. So do do you you rate them equally? No, but I mean, of course, it's it's depending a little bit on, on, as you said, is it it on the engineering side? Is it on... on, sales and consultants and so on. So of course you need to have, have that in, in mind so you can, can handle different type of uh, persons and a different type of a little bit processes depending on. But if we take the big mass, which is more or less expert services and sales side where we have those uh, big big classes of trainees, then, then it goes quite well, I would say. Gotcha. So for the next step, then you have uh, a case 
So then you actually, if I take the sales track, I mean, then you then you get uh, the possibility to actually act as a sales rep and to sell Lime, uh, Lime Go uh, and uh, be the sales rep from Lime and qualify us uh, as a customer and, and perform a case where you should try to sell our, our software. And I think what I would like to achieve with that is that it's a very, that's what you will do on a day-to-day -day basis. So for, from the recruit, from us as a, a company side, you would like to see that they spend, have spent time, time that they can, yeah, that they like to stand there and they feel engaged and passionate. And from their point of view, from the candidate's point of view, I think it's important to, okay, this is what I would do most of my hours at work. Do I enjoy it or not? And if the question is, the answer is no, then of course you shouldn't proceed in the process. Right. So after that, you have an in-depth interview and, uh, and uh, yeah, where you more or less go through your yeah, different type of, uh, yeah, questions. And the last step is that I meet all the candidates uh, as a final interview. All right. You're the final boss in, in the game. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, but in that sense, for me, it's much more, I mean, I don't talk that much about skills and, 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 and I, I talk more about Lime, what kind of company we are uh, and where we, we want to go as a company. Uh, and also, I, I would like them to be able to qualify me because yeah. I think it's important that it's, it's a yeah, two-way street here. It's not that we should sell a job to anyone. I think it's very important. The better qualification a candidate can do on us as an employer, the longer they will stay. And that we give a fair view of Lime as a company. Because even if I love Lime, I mean, we don't do everything perfect. So there are things that we need to improve all the time in our operations, in our business. And then it's better to be honest with that with the candidate in the final step, because then it doesn't come as a surprise. Mm, yeah. So how much of a qualifying factor or disqualifying factor is that last interview with you? So if, if I'm a sales manager, say like, Nils, this guy, I really like him. And you feel like, no, I don't like him. What happens? Uh, no, no. Then, then, I, then I have the possibility to say no. Then I say no. Because I've interviewed so many, many, uh, I mean, throughout 17 years, I've been working with recruitment and I've been recruiting so many, many. Of course, I'm not, uh, I'm not perfect in, in that sense either. And, I, and you may still make mistakes. Uh, that, that's uh, human, more or less. Hmm. But, but I've been through many, many candidates and I, I know uh, <laughs> uh, the signs of when, okay, this is, they will not be long term at line. Right. Because, uh, and I mean this in the best possible way. But is there not at least a little bit a tad of a risk that the line manager that is hiring for this position will be affected in his or her interviewing process? So like, I know Nils is going to like this guy. Mm -hmm. And if I push him or her through, it's a yes. For me, you know, he's a, he or she is an 8 out of 10, but maybe, I don't know. So it... that the fact that you're above them might affect how they screen people. I, yeah, I, it's, hard, it's hard for me to say, but, but of course there is always a risk. But I think that what we would like to learn, our managers, and if we look at the hit rate that I have on my last step, I think it's, it's, it's not that I disqualify like, you know, 75% and 75%. quite big, big part. And then it's more that uh, the people that, yeah, I mean, that you feel that it's not a good culture fit for life. Yeah, and I, I guess you've standardized the, the hiring process and, and every hiring manager has gone through the same type of, you know, 
training and so on. So you, you look at it the same way, I suppose. Yeah, and, and it's important, I think, to, to learn all the new employees because we uh, already, if you, when you're like more or less a trainee, you start being a part of the recruitment process and, and recruit the new stars coming up. Yeah. So, so you, recruitment is, I'm usually saying that, that recruitment is one of our key processes that we have in our, in our company. Yeah. I would like to be that the majority of all recruitments that we do that we should do them in-house at line right because otherwise we will depend on an external firm that will do that kind of recruits and they are more interested in maybe uh, in other parts than that that will fit really well and be i would say add something to our culture because yeah. it's hard for an external firm if you just jump in and do one or two candidates Right. So, so did the previous CEO also meet all the candidates, or is this something that you brought to the table? No, uh, Eric, who was the the CEO before me, he also met uh, met everyone. So then you have been in the same situation. Who should I present uh, to Eric? So, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. And I mean, you learn. You learn that, for example, I mean, we we have done 110 recruits last year. So after a while, we. I mean, together with my management team and, and our managers that, okay, this is the, what, what is the profile that we actually are looking for and what kind of uh, attributes and skills, uh, but also the, their personality. Because I think, yeah, we are a culture-driven company, so it needs to be, and it's hard to always put numbers or exactly how things should be when, it, when we talk about culture. Uh, skills, I mean, we train them, we educate them, in the most of them in a, a trainee program. So it's more about attitude that, okay, I'm, I'm willing to do this and I really would like to do this. Fundraising can be exhausting. With Float, funding for SaaS businesses has never been easier. All digital funding platform apply in just a few clicks. 100% customizable growth loans to fit your needs. No dilution, no personal or equity guarantees. Fuel your growth by accessing a credit line of up to 70% of your ARR within days. And the best of all, you get a fixed interest rate from Float. Visit gofloat.io and get funded. Speaking about culture and profiles, there's probably two things we'd also like to dig into a little bit. One is we understand that you guys have to a large extent, emphasizing uh, uh, in recruitment when it comes to younger talent, mm-hmm. young professionals in the beginning of their careers. Like, can you talk to us a little bit why that is? And from your perspective, if that brings any particular challenges or opportunities compared to hiring more seasoned professionals? No, but I think, uh, yeah, as, as you said, the, and especially I would say that the majority of, of the ones that we hire comes through in, into Lyme through the trainee program. Uh, and I would say that, of course, it's in one way to, we, we can learn and we can educate uh, and get that kind of opportunity to form the new employees if they come directly from school. Okay, this is how we do it. It's a little bit easier with the ones that comes more or less with, yeah, they have, of course, some work experience that they've done throughout university, but this is the first real job. And then we can set the standards. Okay, this is the expectations that we that we have. Right. And, and that's maybe the positive part. And I think also when you get people in directly from university and we are having that kind of vibe in our culture as well, um, that 
that of course it creates a lot of energy and many have been both doing, uh, I would say, being a part of running their, what you call that, student, um, I mean, being a part of running the different student organization. Right. They right. are very like, okay, culture driven and would like to have a high, uh, a lot of energy. And you put a lot of value in that if you have been active uh, during your, yeah. your time as a student. Exactly. And also, I think uh, if I look at, the, at uh, the ones that has been having different parts with yeah, they have been working with something else besides studying. Yeah. If that's sports or they have like a big hobby or they have a really big passion for something that they know, okay, how should I plan my time? I need to be disciplined. Yeah. And they are very like, okay, com can combine many things at the same time. So it seems to me that that is more important than the grades. Yeah, it for me definitely. Otherwise, I wouldn't be hired here. Uh, <laughs> so so, so uh, no, but but I th I think that because you can learn how to be do the profession, and and that's what why we have the trainee program. Okay. So if we go back, then we maybe had more or less only trainees that we took in, and I've been looking into this, and I think the last year of the, out of those 110 that we recruited. We said that if we should have that kind of pace, we also need to build a little bit different layer. So all the new ones that comes directly from school, they need someone to look up to. They need someone that can learn and they can learn them how to do their profession. Yeah. So we started to add a little bit more seniority in the, in the, in the organization as well, which I think is important. And especially if you go outside of Sweden. So the, Smaller offices you have, more or less, with, uh, with less employees, I think the foundation in the beginning needs to be a little bit more senior. And then when you reach a certain size, then you can add the mass of all the trainees. And if I look back to how they started Lime or Lundalgik back in it, that was actually how they did it. So when we reached a certain size, that's when we started with the trainee programs and that became very successful. Okay. And are the trainee programs, are they paid programs? So like you, you, you get paid to work? Yeah, definitely. And how long do they run? Uh, it, it runs around like one year. So, and of course you do, you do. So you're, you're, uh, uh, Historically, it's been like four weeks in, in Lund that we gather everyone in one place. And I think that's a, a very important part. Both it goes, comes down to our headquarters, but also that you, you get to know people from different departments. Because when you're then back at your home office and if you work in a, in a, in a, in a smaller office, then it, it's important that you have your network yeah. with different kind of people, with different kind of skills. So that's why we put the, the whole first week is about culture. Okay. That they hang out together. That they they are, yeah, brought in to the to the to the Lime family in that sense. Yeah. So how, how many times a year do you start a new trainee sort of bunch? We have two uh, two two big like start dates, and and that's in the beginning of January, uh, and and it's also in in August. Okay. And. Usually, the, the classes in August are a little bit bigger uh, due to that many schools are like, you know, uh, they, they graduate the, uh, before summer and then they can start after, uh, after, uh, after the summer holidays. All right. And what's the main difference of working as a trainee and get the regular job? Is it that you, you get to try a lot of different things or because it's the same employment type, right? 
Yeah, it's the same employment type. And I mean, our goal is that everyone should stay. So it's not that we said, okay, let's bring in, in 60 people and then keep uh, 40 out of those. I mean, we would like everyone to keep and develop so they can stay for life. And, and my goal is to say that they should stay at, at least five years. Because you have your six month like first uh, notice period. Yeah. But it's very, I mean, it could be more or less, I, it happens, of course, but it, it's more that, no, I mean, this was not for me. And that you that they really feel, no, I mean, I, I would like to do something else. Otherwise, the ambition is always to, to get everyone to be here for a long time. What would you say, understand the first week with the, the culture is, is um, a key in this, but is there any other particular part of the trainee process that is sort of, extra important or or so would you say no, but it's it, then the other part which i think then it ends splits up in a little bit different tracks depending on if you're an engineer if you're a application consultant project manager sales rep and so on so the different uh, roles have different tracks but then it's also to combine this that you maybe could have a case with both the sales rep and a, and a consultant that they could can collaborate because that's how real life will be uh, uh, in the end yeah um, so so i think product knowledge is of course very important because the more you know about the product when you yeah when you when you come back home i think then you feel secure so my advice to everyone i mean when you're in lund you have a lot of fun because i mean <laughs> it's like <laughs> you end school in june and then you start like lime in, in august but of course i mean you hang out with a lot of people, a lot of fun, you do nice things, but it's also to take the time when you can actually focus on learning from each other. Mm. And if I go back to my traineeship, I mean, I'm not the technical person, but and, and the majority of us that started that year wasn't. And we had one guy who was fantastic in that sense. And he could, we could learn so much from him. Yeah. So we could really take the opportunity to grasp his knowledge and, and put that in so we were better prepared when we came home. Yeah, I would have been quite technical as well, just <laughs> putting it out there. Exactly. Uh, so that's what I would like them to do, to collaborate and learn from each other. And, and don't be afraid because everyone will not be perfect uh, on everything. So it's okay to be, show weakness in that sense. But do it when you're in. Do it right away, because then you can learn from the other ones that has the knowledge. Yeah, yeah, that's very interesting, and I, I think at the same time very impressive. You know, uh, I doubt that, and I mean this in the best possible way. I doubt that many other companies can accept and onboard those volumes of new talents in one go. Yeah, uh, because it probably requires you know some prep work, a bunch of resources, and so on. So internally on your end. Mm. Who is behind these onboarding program? What type of resources are needed, you know, pre, during and post this onboarding exercise? We have, uh, it's, it's our um, people and culture department that owns that, that kind of process. And um, that's something that has been developed throughout the years. When, if we go back to the start, we were six people at the trainee program. And then, of course, we didn't have people in culture running that because that wasn't even a role at line back then. <laughs> right. Uh, so, so, so it has developed over time, but I think we have, as I said, since recruitment and onboarding is one of our key processes, mm -hmm. it's also important to treat it like that, that we really 
we try to improve it all the time. So it's not, okay, we've done that, we know how it is. So uh, we have uh, Cornelia, who, who is uh, uh, in charge of, of, of that program. I think she always tries to improve and get it a little bit better, tweak it a little bit, so we can say, okay, how can we get better ratings and so on. Um, so, but then many people are involved. So it's not that, okay, people and culture are running it. They are depending on that we have one, maybe one or two from the sales side that like a little bit like trainee mom and dad for the ones that come from the sales side. And the same thing from the expert services side, you have a mom and a dad uh, that, can, that they can shoot questions. And at the same time, all the different classes that they have throughout the trainee program, that's all Limers that can help out. Someone is really good in knowing, in, um, okay, train people in Python. Right. Then they can have a class with that. Next person, uh, now we have today, we have a review, a session with the trainees. We, we will have storytelling. And then we have one person that is really good in storytelling. So, so then we involve all employees. So they are a part of educating more or less the new ones coming in. Mm-hmm. And for me, I think running a company, I think the engagement that, and to involve and be a part of running a company, I think that creates an engagement in the long run. And, and yeah, you have more fun at work because you are part of running a company. Right. So it's really, of course, it, it, it's many resources are involved in running a good trainee onboarding program. That, that's for sure. And it's an investment because, I mean, you cannot, rec- you cannot say to a, a new person that is hired that, okay, from next day, you should be, be able to f- perform results. That's not how it works. So it's a big investment for us, but I think it will be important for us to grow going forward. Yeah, it certainly paid off and it's really impressive. And not many companies in the SaaS space here in the Nordics have such a trainee program, what we have seen. So uh, it's really cool. But looking forward here, the, the next few years, what is the future for, for Lime? What do you say? Uh, the future for Lime... Uh, as I, I was touching a little bit before, but we would like to grow Lime to a more international company going forward. Because uh, I think it's, of course, we would like to grow Sweden as well. I mean, uh, we would like to grow everywhere. But, but, <laughs> but, but if I take that, because it means also that we will get, being in a growth company means so much for everyone working at, at Lime. Because it will create new roles, new opportunities, new departments that we haven't had before. And you could see that just growing the countries outside of Sweden. Because before we more or less only had customer success in Sweden. We only had support functions in Sweden. But as, as the countries are growing, you add those kind of functions in the countries as well. Which means that you can stay longer at Lime. Yeah. And then you can have a full career at Lime if we continues to grow. That's why, for me, growth is so important, that it means that we develop all the time. We never stand still. Uh, and I think if we bring in a fantastic talent, we would like to give them an opportunity to grow with us instead of they need to go somewhere else to, to find an opportunity. Yeah. So that's, that's important to get those smaller offices to grow and, and to become a bigger part of Lime's revenue going forward. Mm. We would like to grow, as I said, uh, in, the, in our verticals. Uh, Lime uh, is a very fantastic product in that sense that it's flexible, So, which means that we can also add more verticals going forward. Uh, 
and 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 to build up that knowledge um, and at the moment i see that we have so much to do in our markets where we exist today both netherlands are fairly new for us germany i mean the size of the german market is, is bigger than the the rest of the markets combined so so i think it's no stress that we need to open a new office um, but i mean if the right opportunity appears uh, we have m a on our agenda i think that maybe one of those companies that we add to the line group maybe have offices uh, in other countries and then then we can decide if we want to go there or not yeah all right cool so is there anything particular that you are looking for right now a particular talent or something else uh, I'm, i mean uh, we, we have talent we're always looking for uh, i mean uh, great talent i mean uh, we continue to recruit and uh, that's uh, i feel is is very uh, uh, it's it's uh, it's it's nice to have that uh, opportunity now in times like this so we are we are looking for talent both on the engineering side we're looking for fantastic sales reps and so on yeah so 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 that's what what i hope that we can find yeah and um, and if we look from a product perspective, I think we are we are not, we are looking for add-ons to our own product, more or less, that we can sell. Um, so it's not platforms that we are looking for in that sense. That okay, let's find a new CRM tool in in another country. It's more add-ons that can strengthen our portfolio, both to new and existing customers, yeah. uh, and can make us more competitive. Uh, in the market so uh, maybe this is a secret but uh, <laughs> what add-on would make you the most excited <laughs> uh, I, that i keep for myself at the moment okay but, but there are many things uh, mapping the customer journey it's quite interesting actually to see okay we are strong in this area we are lack a little bit in, in this area and um, uh, but uh, yeah so so it's uh, building a pipeline on the MA side as well all right, cool. And, and I guess you can reach out to Niels if you think you have something worth to sell. Um, so is there a particular guest that if we would get her or him on the show that you will tune in and listen to the episode? Anyone that sort of would like to hear their story? That excites and insp- inspires you. Yeah, I don't know if, if uh, probably he, maybe he has already been there and then I have to tune in uh, in that case. But uh, I, I really like uh, Samir. Has he been on the show? He hasn't been on the show. We have had uh, his uh, co-founder Matthias on the show, but that was ages ago. Yeah, but then I think you should bring Samir because Samir is a fantastic person. Both he has the heart in the right place. Uh, he has great values, but he is also such a hardworking uh, guy. And I think what he did with... Uh, together with Matthias, of course, and, and the rest of the guys in, in Get Accept. I think that really shows passion, hard work, and the right in the and the heart in the right place. What that can uh, bring to the market. Yeah, I think actually we might have discussed it, so it, it's definitely on on the um, agenda here. So yeah, it's on a to do list somewhere. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Maybe you need a CRM, or uh, so you don't uh, miss ticking it off. <laughs> this has been really exciting. Thank you so much for coming on the show and, and sharing your journey with us and particularly how you guys work with the recruitment process and the trainee program. And, you know, I have to ask you, yeah. if you would give, you know, your top three tips and tricks or advice, call it whatever you want to call it, for anybody that wants to build a trainee and onboarding program focusing on younger recruits, what would those tips be? 
I think the, the first step, which I think uh, is also a lesson learned from us when we go international, that you need to build up and have a be really persistent when it comes to build up uh, a good um, um, relationship with the, with the schools. And you need to find out what kind of schools should we as a company work with? Where do we uh, find uh, the best talent? And if that's on the engineering side, because uh, or if it, you would like to find sales rep, or if you would like to find project managers. I mean, there are, the schools are so big, so you need to find different areas in that. And to be persistent, because it will not happen in a day. We have been having close relationships with Lund, with Linköping's University. I mean, I think since 2005, or even before that. So, so start immediately building that kind of reputation and that will uh, help you get the, as many candidates in so you don't are depending on too few candidates in the process. And what does that mean building a relationship with the school? Like is your HR director calling up uh, somebody in the faculty saying like, hey, we'd like to recruit some people from you. How do we do this? No, in the beginning, maybe it was, it was <laughs> because now they are smart and the, uh, they are really smart guys and girls there because they know that they have a lot of knowledge and talent there. So they can, uh, they know how to, uh, what let's say, what kind of price they should pay, uh, we should pay for getting close to that talent. But I think it's about using, so for example, now, one tip that we often have is that if we recruit someone from Linköping right. in August, the best way, because they have still their network, maybe a half year to a year after that, then you should use those persons to go down in fairs, because all the schools have fairs and seminars, so they can be the, the face for the company at that school. Got it. Um, so, so you can use their network, because if you just wait, maybe two years, I mean, all their network has moved moved on and uh, and not that there yeah so they can be your ambassadors and they meet their friends or they exactly. okay yeah and i think then to vary it i mean fairs is one thing all the other ones will be there as well um, and and it's hard timing of course when you are a smaller company in the beginning you will look into all the the yeah big uh, auditing firms and stuff like that i mean you will you will do do things that stands out. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, and, and what are the other two things that you'd recommend? Uh, so that maybe that that's the first one. Uh, I would say uh, include um, include people uh, that is already working at line uh, or at the company in the recruitment process because I think it's uh, it's in, then you can create an engagement that more people can be a part of of. Um, deciding who will actually be a part of uh, and working together with them because I think that creates a good atmosphere in the company right maybe the third part is that don't don't jump in too much in in CVs and skills uh, from the beginning I think higher on personality and finding the the people that share the same values but meaning that we need people to be different, but the foundation and the values can still be same, even if you're totally different and you work at totally different departments. But sharing the same belief in the, in, in, as a foundation, I think, is very important. All right. So thank you for sharing that, Nils, and, and thank you for telling your story. And it was uh, great learning more about Lime. And um, yeah, see you around. Thanks a lot for having me. Really nice discussion. And sorry again, Tomas. <laughs> okay. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> no no job no job offered today either. Bummer. Bummer. Yeah.
Let's see what you can find in your archives and we can, you know, look at them over a beer or something. Yeah, definitely. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you, Niels. Take care now. Bye. So, Daniel, what's your takeaways from the episode today? I've never had a chance to speak uh, in length with uh, Niels before. What a likable guy. Yeah. I think that's the, like I sat through the interview and it's like, you know, what a likable guy. I, I could work for, with him. Like, he's just a likable guy. I like him. Yeah. Yes. So, shout out to you, Nils, for that. Um, obviously, we knew a little bit about their, their onboarding program and trainee program. Also, you, you not making it all the way, but oh yeah, <laughs> being local here to, to the headquarter, we've heard many things about it. And uh, I, I think there's one thing that uh, I have actually leveraged and adopted myself, and it's hiring young talent. And I, I think there is a point for particular roles that young talents come in with a blank canvas. And depending on the role, sometimes that's great because, and I mean this in the best possible way, you can give those young talents a great opportunity ahead of them, but you can also welcome them. And mold sounds you know, bad, but mold and, and groom them in a way. <laughs> mold sounds better than groomed. <laughs> but you know, help them be the best uh, for your organization. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that that's, a, you know, especially for younger sales talents and SDRs and so on, there's a benefit in doing that. And I've also done that throughout my years and it, it worked really well. So, you know, I don't think people should shy away from hiring young talent. Sometimes it's easy to just be like, you know, here's seasoned people with, uh, they've done this and that for so many years. For some roles, that's not always necessary. For some roles, it is very much a must to have experience. But I think don't shy away from hiring young talent. True. What about you, Thomas? Yeah, I know you didn't make it there as a young talent, but you, you've still had a pretty decent career. No, let's let's leave that for for the time being. So now I was just thinking about you know when he described that they've been going on since I don't know '96 or even before that. I don't remember exactly the '90s. Let's say that. Yeah. And they have grown. Was it like 20% uh, good profit, also 20 25%, something like that? Yep. And I mean, <laughs> now we talk about that as an unusual way of building and growing a company, right? But, but you know, it makes sense. I understand that if you start a company and you have a good growth and you, you, you're profitable, that's a good thing, right? And it's one thing, you know, creating and building a company with someone else's money. Yep. Uh, and it's one thing to do it with your own. Yeah, either way, we appreciate and I think it, it brings its it own sets of challenges. But suddenly, uh, Nils and Lime seem to be right. And it feels like they don't have to, like many others, make any adjustments to their business. It's just business as usual, which is like a, a huge advantage right now. Yeah, and of course, in, in many cases now also, uh, you know, the whole SaaS space is, is moving so fast. So often you need to jump on the opportunity, right? Uh, and grow and and then you need sort of the capital injections and so on because you have that window of a few years. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a balancing exercise, you know, like, you know, we say like we would never take in capital, but if somebody would come and say, hey, Thomas and Daniel, like... Uh, it depends on the valuation. Right? Yeah, exactly. For 10% of your business, like I will make you whatever it is, like biggest, uh, like a Saster will go under and you will be the next Saster. Yeah. Maybe then suddenly we'll be like, hmm, let's see about those 10%, we might take it. <laughs> hmm, we'll take it. <laughs> yeah. 
if you have a, an exciting valuation, you, you're always welcome to reach out. Yeah. And, and Jason Lemkin, if you're listening to this, you, you probably are. I know you're, you're listening to, 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 to these episodes. Like, we appreciate you. We appreciate your event. Uh, let's, let's keep the dialogue going. Okay. Besides that, if you like the, the episodes, yeah, please um, recommend them to a friend. Uh, we, we, we appreciate everyone that sort of um, likes the podcast and um, hope to see you soon uh, at Sassiest or any other meetups that we are planning to have. We are actually going to Estonia for the first time. So we have a meetup planned uh, together with Mesente March 15th. So that's this episode probably goes out a little bit just a few days before that so otherwise thank you Mesente it was great <laughs> visiting you <laughs> so just to be 100% sure okay I, I think we it was a long episode today but uh, I think it was great so uh, thank you for listening and see you soon again take care